1: And that chapter of the book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using the Great Effect for over 18 years to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system If you choose to tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the reality management worksheet. It also contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process. And it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. And we hope people do all of that soon and often. Primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives the more they actively use these tools in their lives. And secondarily because it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. And if you have any of those to share with us, please do so by giving us a call at 563-999-3581 and press 1 on your phone. Or send us an email. You can email me at tjh at mindshifters-academy.org or you can email genie at j-e-a-n-i-e at whyagain.org that's w-h-y-a-g-a-i-n dot o-r-g and if you send us a comment or a question or an answer or a testimonial we will address that on the internet show and then as time allows send you a note about what day and time it was addressed on the show so you can listen back to the archives for the feedback. And we appreciate it when people do that because it makes it far easier for us to live into our intention with this work. The intention we have with this work is to be of service. And it's far easier to do when you let us know. How is this landing for you? How are the worksheets working for you? How are you finding them useful and applying them in various situations in your life, etc.? So we have plenty of time for comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. Uh, 563-999-3581. This is a Monday morning. I have had quite the busy few days with reading the book by Brooke C. M. S. I. E. M. S-I-E-M, Brooke with an E. Her book is titled, May Cause Side Effects. And it's one person's story of being on antidepressants and anti-anxiety agents for 15 or 17 years, and then still being suicidal and having years of having suicidal thoughts and feeling like life isn't worth living, actually having a a very specific plan for how to end her life and then deciding, well, wait a minute, maybe I should try life without these antidepressants first and then decide whether or not I want to take my life. And um, she's a very bright young woman and she was very perseverant and she did actually get herself off of those antidepressants and anti-anxiety agents probably in the worst possible way by going um, very abruptly or what someone would call cold turkey. And, um, and she recommends that by the time she's done with her personal sojourn and talking to different people about it and writing this book, she discovered that there is something called hyperbolic tapering that people get much more... Uh, positive results from. Um, and um, so she's out here spreading the word that, you know, while there might might be a use for these things in certain cases in short term, many people are on these medications long term, and they have no idea what their life would be like without it and or whether or not their life could be even much better without the, um, in her case, it was a numbing and dumbing down and numbing of her responses to life that was created by all of these medications. So I will look forward to interviewing her tomorrow. And the other thing I was doing over the past few days was reading Pierre Pratervan's new book, which is about the gentle art of spiritual discernment and his... um, best ideas for how to follow your own spiritual path and uh, avoid the pitfalls of many spiritual paths and how people will, for various reasons, try to promote their spiritual path as the one true way, whether it's for their own financial gain or whether it's they truly believe that there is just one way and their way is the right way or or their group's way is the right way. And um, as a as a passionate person who's been pursuing um, his own spiritual path for probably at least, I think he said, 50 years, he decided um, that it would be good to have a, a reference book out here that's brief it's only about 105 pages in the format that I read it and yet it's powerful and it talks about some of the common difficulties in our current world of trying to pursue a spiritual path independent of a guru or a group and um So that, as I mentioned before, will be released in, um, I think it's July 18th, but it can be pre-ordered now if you want to uh, look it up in the Amazon or wherever you buy your books. So, um, I had, I now had the pleasure of interviewing Pierre Pratervan twice, and, um, I don't know exactly when the the, uh, podcast, um, the On Your Mind podcast, will post that Pierre Prater van interview, but I will make it available here uh, on the week before Memorial Day when I'm going to be out of town and I'll be arranging some what I would call best of or highlight shows to be played in my absence. And I will make that be one of them. Um, And again, I am open to suggestions if you know somebody that you think I should interview or a book I should read or a spiritual teacher that you've gotten particular value from, you can either call in and let me know or send me an email at tjh at mindshifters-academy.org. And I will gladly pursue any leads you want to share with me. One of them that I will look into is the um, a gentleman, I think his name, is, his name is Sandy. And I think he's in um, southern Illinois down by St. Louis. And it's the Educare Unlearning Foundation. Michael Rice talks about um, the, the root of the word education is educare, and it doesn't mean to beat up or pro- properly discipline. It means to draw out, and that the, the, the original deep meaning about education is to draw out of an individual what is already within them, how to help them, tap into and uncover their own internal source of connection to the divine and wisdom etc and apparently there's a gentleman who's down in southern illinois grafton illinois i believe who's been doing this for years and he has the unlearning foundation and um, he talks about how essential it is to listen at deeper and deeper levels and as we listen to others and we listen deeply to ourselves um, we we change from the inside out and we tap into things we can't get any other way and so um, if you want to check that out um I'm pretty sure it's the unlearning, oh yeah, it's educare, unlearning, and if you just type that in your search engine, you probably will come across this gentleman named Sandy,
2: edu.
1: C A R E. Educare Unlearning Institute. Dot, well, Educare Unlearning dot com will take you to their website. And this gentleman's whole point is that he runs programs and these um, gatherings or listening support. And I think I I saw that they're doing them um, online as well. Um, So, 563-999-3581. Call that number, press one. What have we been sparking for you? Sandy Wilder is his book. Uh, is his name, Sandy, S-A-N-D-Y, Wilder, W-I-L-D-E-R. And his book is titled Listening to Grace, Unlearning Insights and Poems. Sandy Wilder. He's one of the people that um, Pierre Pratervan was talking about extensively in his newest book and he listens to or reads sandy's um, daily meditations or you know wake ups but he also uh, pierre also talks about byron katie and of course Uh, one of his best friends and spiritual teachers, Roger McGowan, who used to be on a death row in Texas in a prison. He's now off death row, but still in a prison in Texas. But he's basically transforming that prison through his spiritual teachings. And Muji is another uh, of the people that Pierre finds very um, useful to listen to and to follow his teachings, very gentle, very um, non-dogmatic. Um, so, how can we support you? What is on your mind? 563-999 three five eight one the more i read pierre's book the more i saw these wonderful um synchronicities between the book we've been reading here a walk in the physical the course in miracles the way of mastery so many of these course of love uh, jesus my autobiography uh, many of these books that we've been presenting over the years here in the especially these last four years in the, in the uh, MindShifters radio show. Now we've expanded it to be two hours a day. So one of the things that Pierre was saying at the end of our interview today, and he was doing a blessing for you to recognize how important it is to love yourself or in Michael Rice's words, to understand your true value and that you are basically part of the flow of life. You are love itself. You are the creative energy expressing in form. And the next essay in the book, A Walk in the Physical, that, as we're reading through it, ties in directly to the blessing at the end of our interview today, It's essay number 56, and it's titled, You, you, every person who's listening to this call, you are treasured beyond comprehension. And the essay reads, you are a completely unique and irreplaceable portion of all that is. And in this writing, he capitalizes the word all, the word that, the word is, all that is. Another word for that is God or source. And the essay reads, source loves you specifically and personally so much, far more than any love you have ever likely experienced on earth. You are more wonderful and precious and valuable to her than you can even conceive. The reality of those statements cannot be articulated in words or even thoughts. It can only be personally known and deeply experienced. And yet we live in a world where for many of us that experience is not commonly known. Why is that? Neal Donald Walsh shared a great metaphor answer to answer this question, which I paraphrase here. Imagine that everything that existed was light and love. Imagine that a small, bright soul rejoiced, rejoiced and existed as a single light within the ocean of light, which is God, which is all that is. The soul said to the ocean of light, of which it is a part, quote, I am the light. I am the light. And God replied joyfully, Yes, yes you are. And they rejoiced together and reveled in existence. But eventually the soul said, But God, what does it mean to be the light? For it had always been light amongst light. It knew nothing else. It could not conceive of that which it had never been. No contrast existed for it. The soul, in its joy, innately wanted to do something, to add to the light, to participate in creation. And so God said, I love you so much that I can provide a way to you that you can better understand what it means to be the light. The soul replied excitedly, Wow, how can you do that? And God said, In order to be more fully of the light, you must experience and temporarily become that which you are not, darkness. The soul was ecstatic that such an adventure and opportunity existed for it, that it could become even more by experiencing contrast and add to the light. So it excitedly agreed to participate in the experience. God said to the little light, to experience what you are not, you must temporarily forget that you are the light. And yet, even while you have forgotten, you cannot ever be truly anything other than what you are, for you are the light. And the little soul set out on a great adventure to see how much it could actually be and engender the loving source from which it came. So it is with us here on earth. We have chosen to have an experience of contrast and limitation, to have a context within which we can make choices and exercise our intent so as to participate in creation and evolve the quality of our beings toward love. We seek to exercise love even in the face of great challenge. We've received an amazing gift. We don't often think of physical reality with all its hardships as a gift, but indeed, a precious gift it is. You may have forgotten the wonderfulness that you are, but truly... You are a cherished, marvelous, powerful, bright soul in the ocean of all that is. What is more, by choosing to participate in this experience and so many other experiences, you have undertaken the brave and deeply respectable task of participating in the very real process of actual creation however messy or painful it may temporarily be. Take a moment to listen deeply within yourself, beneath all the thoughts and beliefs of this lifetime. And in the quiet presence of your own spirit, you may sense a subtle but enduring reminder that indeed, no matter what this walk in the physical may hold, you are the light and you are loved. You are the light, and you are loved. You are treasured beyond comprehension. And to put that into a blessing would be simply to say, may you remember the wonderfulness that you are. May you remember that you are cherished, marvelous, powerful, and a bright soul in the ocean of all that is. May you remember that by choosing to go through these experiences, you are brave and deeply respected. And that in this, may you remember that you have participated in the very real process of actual creation. May you remember that you are the light and you are loved. So, 563-999-3581. Call that number. Press 1. Let us know how loved you're feeling these days. Let us know if these readings are resonating well for you or not. I was talking to Pierre Pratervand, and he was talking about his practice of gratitude and the practice of sitting in his lovely garden in Geneva, Switzerland. And he's at that point in his life where he spends an hour to an hour and a half in the morning just getting himself mentally prepared for having a day of spiritual growth and gratitude. And then he was in his garden having lunch before our interview today and he was just talking to himself and expressing his gratitude. And then I highlighted for him how so many people are not in such a lovely situation And he talked about how his father, who was, I think he was a Presbyterian um, minister and head of the Presbyterian organization for many years, he used to travel. And he traveled all around the U.S. And he would weekly, or several times during the week, he would write these letters, airmail letters, back to his family. And Pierre's mother would stand in the kitchen and read the father's letter to the family, and Pierre remembers very poignantly one of those letters when his father was in Mexico City, and his father wrote to the family about how there wasn't a single girl past the age of 12 who was a virgin in that town because they were all out prostituting themselves to make enough money to feed themselves and the other members of their family and this was this huge deep mind expanding realization for the first time for Pierre that not everybody lived in the wonderful loving safe Switzerland environment that he was raised in where there was plenty to eat and plenty of shelter and warmth and clothes and education and he said that moment struck him so deeply in his core that it's a big part of what launched him on his career over 50 years to be an agent of change on five continents and 40 different countries and so from there of course we we talked about how there are many people who are not in the lap of luxury and comfort. And yet, even in those places, a practice of gratitude can be a powerful tool. And uh, it's a challenge to have a conversation with Pierre that he doesn't bring up Roger McGowan, who spent 20-some years under death row in Texas for a crime he didn't commit, and how... Roger has chosen to become a spiritual teacher first to himself and then by extension to others through his letters. And it's actually blossomed into what Pierre now says is one of his two closest friends, a relationship. He said for years, since 1996, Pierre would visit Roger in prison once a year at least. And Roger has written about how his gratitude practice and Pierre's Gentle Art of Blessing practice has transformed Roger's experience and has transformed his interactions with guards and other inmates and how it's become a core of his personal spiritual path. So the point is, I don't need to wait until life unfolds just the way I want in perfect comfort and safety. I can find something to be grateful for every moment. Even if, at times, it's only the fact that there's still breath moving through my body. I may not be able to be happy about or grateful for everything that happens in my life, I can, however, most likely at any given time on any given day find something to have gratitude for. And the book that Pierre wrote about Roger McGowan is titled Messages of Life from Death Row. so if you can awaken to your true nature if you can remember as this last essay was saying that you are valuable beyond what words can describe if you can understand or or move your awareness toward understanding that you are treasured beyond any possible comprehension with the conscious, logical mind, then it will be far easier for you to move into gratitude. And as so many of us like to talk about on, on this, Michael and others, that when you realize your true nature and you tap into it and you realize that it is this energy of creation, expressing in form, that when you extend that energy, if you have the intention to extend that energy, that's even more important than the actual behavior. It's another parallel between some of the essays we've read in the book titled, A Walk in the Physical, and Pierre van's book, which isn't published yet, but He talks about the power of intention and how intention is even more important than any single behavior or any words or any practice. And he has a wonderful story about that. I think he's got two or three stories about intention and the power of intention So since nobody else has a hand up, I will read one more essay, which is titled, The Desire to Make Everything Fit. And this essay reads, As we try to understand reality, actuality, in Michael Rice's words, we innately sense that everything should, quote, fit, close quotes. And the desire to make things fit is not just ego-derived, it also stems from our inherent spiritual desire to integrate all experience. This is because at the deepest level, in truth, everything does fit. And we naturally seek to reach for that and to integrate everything that we can while we are physical. Yet, as we attempt to understand and integrate our current physical experience, often the ego gets in the way. Our intention quickly strays from genuinely pursuing truth, which is everything that happens and is all-encompassing, pursuing truth wherever it may lead, and our intention quickly strays from that to trying to avoid pain and make ourselves feel like we have control or understanding. Understanding only a subset of relationships between forms and then deciding to believe things to close the gap is not a true pursuit of truth. Pursuit of truth requires full acknowledgement of that which we do not know. And there is a lot of that. Because we live in a universe of duality, we often seek truth in the objects of duality themselves. What are the objects of duality? Ideas, names, definitions, actions, or concepts. We believe that this object is the truth while that object is deception, or perhaps this object is good while that object is bad. And yet, truth transcends all of the form. Since truth transcends all form, when we, quote, buy into, close quotes, one form and resist another, we are embracing something that is not the full picture, which is completely unified. The whole picture is completely unified. But if we embrace something and resist something else, we've bought into something that is not the whole picture. Thus, if we wish to honor our desire to make everything fit and genuinely pursue truth, we need to be willing to look that one place we may never look. We have never looked while physical, What is that one place we've never looked while we were physical? Beyond all of the things that we are trying to fit together. What does it mean to look beyond all of the things? The things only ever exist as they are beheld in your awareness. Thus, to look beyond them, you need to train yourself to look beyond the objects of your awareness itself doing so is not an action, we can say it is an exercise in intent to focus away from your many definitions and thoughts such that you can truly experience the infinite and unadulterated present moment. Often we call that exercise meditation. Meditation is just the word we use for allowing ourselves to move closer to fully experiencing the present moment. But experiencing that present moment without the participation of the physical mind. The experience of the present moment itself transcends the objects and the thoughts. And in that transcendence, It is possible for each of us to take one step closer to truly experiencing the unity that exists at the root of all things. That unity is real, and as it contains everything, everything fits. Meditation is just the word we use for allowing ourselves to move closer to fully experiencing the present moment without the participation of the physical mind. Many people, including Pierre Pratervan, he talked about an episode he had on a plane where the stewardess was tending to a young boy that was flying solo, sitting next to Pierre, and as he watched this stewardess exude such love and care for this young boy, Pierre Pratervan all of a sudden had an out-of-body experience of deep, pure love. And in that moment, which he said was life-changing for Pierre, there was no Pierre Pratervan. There was no body. There was no identity. There was no being in a plane. He had an out-of-body experience of pure, infinite love just the caring, just the gentleness, just the inclusion of everything, without his mind making notes about it or deciding what words to use to communicate it to somebody else, there wasn't any Pierre. There wasn't any physical brain. There wasn't any body in a seat on an airplane. He was out of time and out of space. And because he was out of time and out of space, he can't even say how long it lasted. But he has the memory of it all of these many years later. It's probably 50 years later. And it's been a hallmark of his own personal growth, his own personal spiritual growth and experience ever since it happened. That was what you would call a moment of pure meditation based on this definition. Meditation is the word we use for allowing ourselves to move closer to fully experiencing the present moment without the participation of the physical mind. And even today, all of these years all the many times that Pierre has recalled and told that story, he still fumbles for words because there aren't any words for an experience like that. And yet, many people have had experiences other than the slow march of time or the constant parade of thoughts, positive or negative, through the mind. And so we know there is... something other than the way our conscious logical mind works when we're awake. We know we have the dream state. Many people have done deep meditations and tapped into something that at least stretches, if not goes beyond the bounds, of what the conscious logical mind can do. So the point of this essay is that Everything does fit, but in order to see how everything fits, we have to give up trying to make it all fit into our very limited perspective of logic and our very small slice of experience of life from this limited physical perspective. And that is a trick that is especially difficult for anyone who's raised in the Western mindset. So we've got about 15 minutes left, 563 nine, 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 five, Susan, welcome.
3: Hi, Dr. Tim. Can you tell me a little more about what Pierre said about how he spends what, two hours first thing in the morning preparing his mind?
1: Well, I would imagine that he spends it in meditation and blessing and in silence, right? One of the things that he talks about is Joel Goldsmith, who was a deep spiritual teacher, and he had a He had a practice. I don't know what kind of, if he had any kind of a medical practice or he was just a metaphysical healer, but he was a healer and he had a practice that was so full that even through his lunch hour, he had patients scheduled. And they would either call on the phone or they would be in his office.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And this one day, um, and he had tremendous success with, with doing healings, but this one day, he looked at his schedule and there was a complete absence of appointments for a solid hour from 12 to 1. And Joel was just shocked. And so he thought, well, what is this a call for? And his instant internal response was to dive into silence. So he dove mm-hmm. into deep silence for that hour, which which would not be – What we consider meditation, it would not be reciting a mantra. It's something just deep, deep silence, listening, etc. And when that hour was done, he was shocked to to have a whole parade of people throughout that day and evening who called just to say, oh, never mind, I just had the healing that I was calling you to get. Mm. And he... He, he understood and his healing practice was that one of the things he would do instantly when he was, would get a request for a healing from someone is he would forget their name and forget their ailment and just go into the deep silence and, and do nothing and or visualize them complete and whole and healthy, etc., and um, so what I got from Pierre is that that's a big part of what he does in the morning before starting out, that his, his life energies are more focused these days on just growing in his spiritual path. And his spiritual path is summed up very simply as being more loving, In more situations to be be Mm. love to radiate love to stay focused on love and he gave you know a little blessing or a little prayer that he does where he says may my thoughts be only loving may Mm. my mouth speak only loving words may my ears hear only things through the filter of love may my eyes see only loving things may my feet May my hands do only loving acts, and may my feet help me move through the world in a loving way today.
3: Mm, how wonderful! What was it like to be with him?
1: Well, I, I I got to to be on Zoom today, and the last time we did it, it was you know live on on the the internet radio show just through a phone, and so oh, yeah. um, it, it was it was different because um he (laughs) because he's even older than i am and so the technology sometimes gets the better of him and but it was lovely Uh i mean his he's he's truly um you know after having spent 50 some years traveling on 40 different countries and five continents and being an agent Mm. for change and spiritual Mm. growth and and um ending poverty and, you know, social change. I mean, he has been a real advocate for doing good in the world in various ways for over 50 years now.
2: So, wow. So amazing.
1: So it was lovely.
3: When, when are we going to be able to hear it?
1: Well, as I said, I... I will make it one of the shows that plays in that week before, I think the 19th um, or 20th of this month. I'm I'm taking that week off before uh, Memorial Day, and so I will mm-hmm. be lining up shows, and I will make sure that that's played as one of them.
2: And oh, great.
1: And as I said in the intro, I also welcome suggestions for other shows if people say, you know, this is a great show from the past, I'd like to hear this again. I need to to mm-hmm. line up uh six or seven shows to be played while I'm uh, away for that week. Uh, and if the if the if the Brooke C M uh interview goes well tomorrow, if I think it would be of value, I'll put it as one of the shows.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um I did a Another interview that Carol Murko that uh, somebody already got a, a preview of it and said it's a really good interview. Maybe I'll put that on as one of the shows. So
2: Nice.
3: Juicy stuff. <coughs>
1: that's what we hope. Giving mm. people that juicy stuff to swish around in their mouths and see if they Mm -hmm. like the taste of it and see if it's nourishing for them personally because that's and that's the heart of Pierre's book is that he said you know he's as he's looking at the world he's seeing more and more that people are moving away from the big churches and that means more and more people are doing their own individual search for their spiritual path and that's Mm -hmm. what motivated him to write the new book.
3: Wonderful. Because in a way, by going into his own way, he has actually opened the church doors to everybody. Because that's what he's practicing, is practicing love, intending love always for everything and everyone always. Can't get any more universal than that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, And, and he he tries to pour that into the gentle art of spiritual discernment a guide to discovering your personal path mm. and um and and he talked about it I, I he's he does not mention it in the book but he but he mentions it in in the interview that um i it, it's fascinating that he has i've i've known because i can tell because i did I did some deep research into the Christian science movement. Mm. A number of years ago, I even had Dr. Michael Rice come and talk to a Christian science church in Elgin, and it mm. was against their principles, but we got it done anyway.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And it was the first and probably the only time that someone who was not a certified Christian science speaker on the Christian science speaking circuit, certainly it's the first and only time that there's been somebody like that in this Elgin Christian Science Church, and maybe in any Christian science church
3: anywhere. Mm-hmm. And I bet they loved it.
1: Well, no, they 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 stayed away in, in droves. It was it, it was it was just the message was so similar to what they, doing in Christian Science, as to almost be this competition. This like this is oh, it, it was it was it was bizarre, and so this is the point. Pierre actually mentions in the interview. That the spiritual path he was in for so many years that was had such a clear definition of what God is, et cetera, was the Christian science movement, and he had wonderful personal healings with it, it nourished him for years, but it got to the point where for him it was just too exclusive. they were too much
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, or the people he ran into at higher and higher levels were too much this is the one truth it's the only truth we've got it nobody okay. else has it kind of thing just just like what they were teaching us in the roman catholic upbringing that okay. i had for so many years
3: mm-hmm. yeah
1: and so wow.
2: his
1: his his hope with a book like this his new book is to come out with a book the gentle art of spiritual discernment A Guide to Discovering Your Personal Path. No one can tell you what your path is.
2: Michael Mm -hmm. Rice can't
1: tell you. Tim Hayes can't tell you. Guy Finley can't tell you. Pierre Pratervan can't tell you. And yet, we can talk about our paths. We can talk about what some of the pitfalls have been for us. We can talk about what are some of the tools that we use. And that's what he tries to do in this book. Mm -hmm. And so that was kind of a reaction, you know, his reaction against moving away from the Christian science. Not because there was anything so wrong with the teachings. It's just that the people had gotten so exclusive and um, you know um, we are the one and we are the only we have the the true one message etc and so they were
2: exclusive yeah
3: it's amazing how fear creeps right in there they want to guard their turf and they've lost everything talk about having things fit like a tiny tiny space in which they fit stuff yeah
1: I'm turning on the microphone for, I believe it's Celinda, five five four one.
2: Hello?
4: Hello. I had to find the uh, mute button. (laughs) Yes. How are you this afternoon, Um, everybody? Good, good. Um, What are your comments? Yeah, you asked in the beginning when you were... uh, uh, reading the essays uh, for people to comment about how this was landing for them. And I just want to say that um, uh, things are getting opened up uh, right and left, whether I want them to or not, <laughs> within my own awareness. And one of the awarenesses I had, again, even in a deeper uh, way of feeling, was my uh, self-hatred, that Beneath everything, beneath my frantic search for safety, beneath my frantic uh,
2: desire
4: for somebody else out there to validate me and uh, say I'm okay and I'm good so that, therefore, I can love myself or get love, really, as a little child thinks, right? And um, I uh, had an awakening the other day about, about a week ago now, that um I just woke up and realized that there was nobody out there that could validate me f- except myself, and I had heard that for years between my ears but but it didn't make any sense, and it percolated down to a deeper level. I just wanted to share, keep doing what you're doing, please, Susan, keep getting on the phone. um I'm learning so much these past two to three weeks from from the show, so thank you. you're most welcome and deserving Thanks
2: and, uh, for, uh, i have no.
4: some, uh, thank you, and I have some health issues, and so that was helpful, just what you said today about uh, yeah, forgetting yourself, forgetting your situation and going into the silence and just going beneath the mind which is my biggest challenge of all
1: well and that you know um going into the silence is one of the big things that um joel goldsmith um talked about and his book is titled the infinite way he has i'm sure a number of books but um the Infinite Way office was started back in 1951, um, but the uh, the title of the book that Pierre mentioned from him is The Infinite Way. He talks about it as one of the uh, key books in in Pierre's learning and growing.
4: Okay. And that was Joel Goldsberg?
1: Goldsmith.
4: Goldsmith, okay. Okay, good, perfect. I also uh, read Carolyn Mace's book, uh, The Anatomy of the Spirit. I don't know if you ever read it or not. About 20 years ago, it was given to me. And um, I've kept it all these years, and, and I was, I'm was i trying to call my bookshelf, so I thought, well, maybe it's time to pass it on. And the minute I opened it up again, I, I realized I needed to read it over again in light of uh, my growing brain cells. And so I'm doing that, and it's just like the main Gospel in another way. And she talks about the twelve the seven chakras in that book, and the illnesses she's a medical intuitive, and the illnesses that she uh, uncovered uh, the causal parts of the illnesses that she uncovered and she basically came to the conclusion that our primary function. Is to discover the proper use of power, and that is our biggest issue. And I, and I just want to uh, mention that book too, because it may be meaningful for some people. She equates the, the uh, seven charges. The title with again. The, uh, the title uh, the anatomy, again,
0: please.
4: The Anatomy of Spirit. Okay. And Carolyn Mace is c-a-r-o-l-i-n-e-m-y-s-s okay and all right well, thank you for recognized. that
1: you've taken okay. us down to yeah. the end of our first hour i will Ooh, mute okay, you and so that you can listen in to the second hour if you so desire i will remind us all that we come from love We're made of the stuff we call love. We actually are love, and everything else is false. And I will welcome Jeannie
0: Rice. Hello, Dr. Tim. Thank you.
1: You're most welcome and deserving. Have a wonderful show.
0: Thanks. So welcome, everybody, to the second hour of Mind Shifters Radio. And today is Monday, May the 8th, 2023. And our call-in number is 563-999-3581, and press 1. And that puts you into queue to talk to us, and we would love to hear your comments and your questions because that makes this your show. While we're waiting on Michael to dial in, if you're connected with us on Facebook, you probably saw some of our pictures. We went up to, it was uh, it was the week, the peak week for Trillium Blossoms. Um, to be out in full force up in northern Virginia a few hours from here. And so we hiked for a couple of hours on Saturday and uh, saw a bunch of beautiful flowers, the trilliums, some little small wild orchids and some violets. We never did see any of the lady slippers. They were supposed to be out there too. But it's a whole part of the national forest that or right up next to the national forest, and it was all native plants and everything. And it was really kind of, it was um, brought up sadness that when we came down the mountain, came off the mountain from there, there was a little store, and it's, you know, all local produce. And so we thought, okay, let's stop and see. They had flowers and stuff. And we walked through there, and there was one item that was native to Virginia. Everything else was from Africa or Europe or um, Asia or somewhere other than here. And it's like, what are they doing? But anyway, uh, then the next, we stayed the night there. And then the next day, we went back up and went down a different trail to see if we could find the lady slippers, and we did not. And but we got a good hike in. And then on the way back home, we had found there was the tallest waterfall east of the Mississippi River, and that includes taller than Niagara Falls, Um, was in Virginia, and it was just a little bit off of their path to come home. So we went over, and just about the time we got to the parking lot, it started raining, but we thought, well, we're here. And so we went walking and hiking up uh, in the rain. And it was absolutely a beautiful waterfall. Every so often they would have a place where you could step over and, and look. You couldn't get near the water or get in it. But And then about seven-tenths of a mile up, uh, it became just like boulders and things. And since it was raining and slippery, we decided it would be best to call it quits right there. So we did. So we didn't make it all the way to the top. But what we did see was absolutely beautiful pictures of that out on the website. We're getting some ideas for our native plant garden that we're getting ready here this week to put the seeds in the ground, so I'm excited about that. And Michael is now with us, so I'm going to say welcome, Michael. Hello, Michael.
5: Hey there, dear heart. Thank you. Thank you for the welcome, and welcome, everybody. Delighted that you're here. Our weekend journey was really pretty interesting from a number of perspectives, perspectives that relate to everything that we're doing here on the show. One of the things, did you tell them the height of the waterfall, Jean?
0: I just said it was the highest one east of the Mississippi, but no, I did not.
5: (laughs) Well, it's interesting. It's about uh, three times or four times as high as Niagara Falls. Which I thought that was pretty interesting, although, you know, the falls is this huge river that comes over at once, so it's it's a whole different animal, but this one was, what, maybe 25 or 30 feet at its widest, and it came cascaded down through four or five different, wasn't all one fall, but the whole length but was. It,
0: how, however, just one of the cascades was 400 feet. And I think Niagara was only like 188 or something like that. So just one of its cascades was over twice that of Niagara Falls, of course, not as right. wide.
5: Right. It was interesting. The minute we arrived, it started raining. <laughs> the minute we got back down from our walk two hours later, the rain stopped. But it was actually kind of interesting to uh, to just walk in the rain. It was a nice light rain, and it was quite sweet. But uh, one of the, I had a shocker for me, and it's a it was a shocker from building new brain cells. It's not something that ever, I would have never even thought of or considered or seen or understood in the past, but we went into this native species preserve, about 4,000 acres, it crosses the Appalachian Trail, and there's several trails in it. And the trillium, which is a, just an absolutely beautiful flower, anything from white to pink to purple. And when you got down into the trail, I mean, literally, every direction you looked, there were just hundreds of trilliums coming up out of the grass and the trees. You know, they were spread out. But most of them were, were some distance apart. A few of them were, you know, close together. But they were just awesomely beautiful several other kinds of flowers as well and our interest was in native species because we have this uh, uh, private national park registered national park in our backyard it's only small it's only 25 feet by 100 but we're dedicating to all uh, indigenous species actually we're going to do that with whole property ultimately but When we came out of it, I mean, this was just, you know, we'd driven five hours to see it. It was absolutely beautiful. The air was clean. The trail was just amazing. Lots of rocks. And when we came out of it, the shock that I got was that just adjacent to it, actually on the edge of it, perhaps even... Part of the preserve, if not, it was like you know within feet of it. There are homes, beautiful, like million dollar homes. One of them in particular was probably, I don't know, maybe ten thousand square feet of manicured lawn. And it was like, are you kidding me? You tore out that forest, that beautiful meadow, those trilliums, etc. You tore that out to put in a lawn? Surely you jest. And I've done some research on lawns. Actually, if you look up on um, YouTube, look up a, a video called Why Lawns Must Die. And Take a look at the cost, like millions of gallons of water, millions of pounds of chemical fertilizer, millions of pounds of insecticides. Places in America where there are food deserts, 40 million acres of lawns in America, and kids are starving. And this lawns must die tells the story of the history of lawns and how it was a symbol of wealth, how people in England who had the money to have slaves or peasants work for them. It was a show of wealth to be able to have this finely manicured lawn where some person who was virtually starving took care of for you, but it meant you were wealthy. And they give the evolution of it, the story of how it came to be in America and how it's, I mean... They're literally, literally, cities are threatening to put people in jail if they won't conform to the lawns' uh, requirements. And for me, I've got a crusade I'm going to go on, and that is we need to eradicate lawns. I mean, we, we made the choice to do the one piece of this one, just 100 by 25 feet of it, to start with indigenous species. But when you think about how many millions of plants that have put at threat insect species that we li- we rely on, like something like 60% of insect species have disappeared in the last 10 years in America. All these chemicals being sprayed, all these pesticides, all these native species being removed. It's just bizarre and insane to put in this thing that produces nothing but consumes and destroys. Like, I think one of the stats was in in a a country where people are literally getting ready to fight water wars, it takes something like 90 million gallons of water, these lawns, in shape, in people's yards. Like, in what universe does that make sense? Now, of course, we've all... You know, it, it, what this for me became a symbol of was this whole story, this whole understanding. Was something I was totally oblivious to, totally unconscious of, had just been brought up in as part of the brainwash of the culture. Oh, well, this is just what you do. And of course, how many hours of sweat, blood, and tears, and and uh, how many you know dollars spent on seeds, and chemicals, and fertilizers, and water, and lawn mowing. In what universe does it make sense to replace something that is edible, supports the wildlife on the planet, and supports human life? How much sense does it take to eradicate millions of acres of that and put in something that does nothing but create toxicity on the planet and consume resources for no reason whatsoever except for somebody to say, oh, don't I have a nice lawn? And of course, everybody thinks well, well, that's what you're supposed to do. you're supposed to have a nice lawn. Well, who says why uniformity, conformity, brainwash so anyway, it was really quite an interesting weekend we We did what probably genie six or seven miles of hiking in the two different places so if you want. If if you like the uh, wild oh, yeah, the other thing, we probably saw, what, 20 or 30 birders This with all this uh, native species. The birds are just all over the place, and so we probably saw 20 or 30 people out there just, uh, you know, finding different birds and getting pictures and all that sort of thing. So if you're into anything like that, if you're looking for a place to to do an interesting vacation that involves something really natural and beautiful, first week in May. I just happened to run across this just a couple of weeks ago. It's like, oh, there's this preserve in the trillium. And the trillium is native to the whole east coast of the United States. And
0: and it is the flower of where you're from.
5: Yeah. Yeah. It's it's the uh, provincial flower of Ontario in Canada. But just uh Amazing, beautiful, and, you know, you can hike for hours, as many or as few as you want. We're planning maybe to, or we talked about perhaps doing a vacation next year and taking the kids and uh, perhaps staying somewhere near the uh, this um, huge waterfall, 16, what was it, 16, almost 1,700 feet, Jeannie? No, it's
0: 1,200
5: 1200? Oh, I actually think it was more than that. And uh, they're just two hours apart, so thinking maybe we'll see if we can find a place to uh, bring every, the kids together and all and go hiking up this waterfall and uh, then a day trip up to the uh, Thompson Nature Preserve in Falls. What's the name of the town? Falls.
0: Front, Front Royal.
5: Front, Front Royal, Virginia. And yes, it was also a shock to see this very, very expensive. It's a fairly high rent area, and this very exclusive, very high cost um, little store that had all these plants as well as vegetables and such. The sign was local, and out of probably 50 different species, there were there was exactly one native species plant on the property, which also ties into the brainwash a few weeks ago. I was talking about how, you know, these things that here are weeds, they're exotics over in Europe and other places where they sell them for a fortune. And the things in Europe and Asia and such that they call weeds there get exported here and they're exotics and sell for a fortune. So it's just more of this commercial money game that we get brainwashed into and with no awareness of what we're doing to ourselves. I was thinking about the person who owned this beautiful million-dollar house with this beautifully manicured lawn and what was destroyed. And it's like, you know, here's a person who probably is financially very successful. They think they're very smart and blah, blah, blah. They have no idea what they've done to their own backyard like no clue. If anybody had a clue, if in a million years, they wouldn't do it. So anyway, it was an interesting opportunity to uh, to do a little forgiveness work and breathe and, uh, and build some brain cells for what our objective is. And if you just Google private national parks, you'll see there's a university professor who's kind of, we sort of picked up on this from his work and are looking to create more interest on a global scale. And let's get back to native because these pollinators, like they I forget exactly, but there's something like 1,600 different species of bees in America. And none of them are bumblebees. Bumblebees are not native to America. Honeybees are not native to America. But there are thousands of pollinators that, you know, they co-evolved with one plant species. In other words, this particular plant with this particular flower is how this particular pollinator reproduces, creates the next generation, and gets to take care of us for our food. And when that plant goes, that pollinator's gone. Like who'd ever thunk it? You know, it never occurred to me to even have such awareness. So I'm deeply appreciative of the people who are are in this particular field and share with us their expertise and their knowledge. And uh, I'm also very appreciative, several times it was like, I wa- would love to read the story of some of the people who created this waterfall or this walk up this waterfall. It's just, I mean, boulders with steps put in place and, you know, railings and wooden you know, foundations to walk on, just otherwise it would have been, our, our two-hour walk probably would have taken us 10 hours. But somebody put in a, just a lot of work and then in the uh, native species uh, preserve that we were at, you know, a lot of old trees that have felled and somebody's come along and cut them and kept the trail open. And you know, it's just amazing what uh, how we rely on other people and the gifts that other people give us, so definitely inspired a lot of appreciation for me. And besides all that, going out in nature like that is a great way to move out of sympathetic dominance into activating the parasympathetic uh, system of the body, of the nervous system. And so, on top of all that, there's this benefit of nature's one of the ways to get this whole system activated. The other way, of course, is it's the system run by love And when Rachma is active and love comes in, there's actually a a nerve, it's called the wandering nerve, the vagus nerve, means wandering. And it supplies virtually all of the organs that allow us to thrive for higher brain function, for digestion, for rest, for blood generation, for elimination, for reproduction. And when love exits the human system, all of those systems shut down. Getting out in nature, green, fresh air, is one of the ways to bring that nervous system, that part of the nervous system back online, so that the sympathetic system, while it's on standby, is basically deactivated the fear flight fright freeze fawning mode and that has such an enormous enormous impact on health in fact i would venture a guess there is not one disease that does not involve sympathetic dominance and the impact that sympathetic dominance has on the body, has on blood circulation, has on inhibiting blood circulation and creating congestion within the structure. So all part of understanding you know, how this whole energy system works and what our place is in the energy system as human beings, really truly functioning out of a nervous system that is tuned to carry and bring active present love into expression through this form and literally pour that energy out into the world. And it's the hostility and fear-based mind that, you know, programs so much of the world, programs so much of our language. You know, there's an exercise that you may have heard me suggest before. And if you haven't done it, I might suggest you do it. Sit down in front of your TV set with a a notebook, a piece of paper, and a pen. And spend no more than three minutes on any channel on your TV. Every three minutes, flip stations. Flip, 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 flip. Draw a uh, margin about one inch wide on the left-hand side of the page, and leave the rest of the page open. And as you listen, three minutes on each station, Put a check mark on the right-hand side of the page, the wide-open page, every time that you hear a word repeated that's based in some form of hostility or fear. And then, on the left-hand side, where you've got that one-inch margin, put a check mark every time you hear a word that's actually based in love. Like, check it out, try it, test it. And I guarantee you'll fill 10 pages with check marks on the right-hand side before you'll get one column filled. On the left-hand side, what does that mean? It means that a language, a way of speaking, a way of perceiving has taken over the world mind. Go back and you hear this man, Yeshua, 2,000 years ago, he says, the power of life and death is in your words. And a word based in hostility or fear sets in motion death, literally. I mean, literally, physiologically. Words based in that regulate the nervous system to the point where, It shuts off higher brain function, it shuts off blood flow, it shuts off reproduction, it shuts off elimination, it shuts off blood production, all of the things unnecessary for survival. It just shuts down. And all the things unnecessary for survival are all the things that cause us to thrive And people think they can live in a world where their language is hostility and fear and curse words at every other turn and, oh, well, what's that matter? It doesn't mean anything. They can live in that world. My offering is it's what kills us. And it's just time for us to stop killing ourselves, literally, on the planet. It's time for us to stop killing each other. Time for us to move out of this hostility and fear-based conversation and move into a conversation that's based in love. Still maintaining the ability to hold those accountable who are playing the game from that other side, from the hostility and fear point base, doesn't mean you have to become a victim and lay down and let everybody walk all over you and you say nothing. In fact, please be wise and Speak always in terms that make sure everybody knows that that hostility or fear based stuff is not normal for humans it's destructive to humans. It literally destroys humans and the behaviors that come out of it you know if you If you watch somebody 's language, you know exactly where they're going. I can remember the first time I heard a a speech presented by a certain American president and listening to the words. Literally, this was just like the first time listening to the words and went, oh, how could anybody possibly support that? So much rage, so much pain, so much trauma. I mean, whew. bless his heart. Accountability is an important part of the process. And being able to maintain, you know, when they said to Yeshua 2,000 years ago, what's most important in the law? He didn't say, make sure you're there along with the, you're with the right political party. He didn't say, make sure you've got all the money you can spend or more. He didn't say, gather power over others. He said, have Rachma. Rachma, the filter in the frontal lobes of the brain, That is the gateway into which and through which love enters the human form to fuel, fire, and empower every cell in the structure. Unless there are verbal, emotional, and behavior patterns that void the presence of love, and people get lost in an hostility and fear world, and their perceptual constructs coming out of the hostility and fear within them void the possible awareness that there is love in the world. So it's nice to have a um, an awareness growing about all the things that allow our human family to thrive in the world and thrive with each other. That was the other thing that impressed me. As we walked yesterday, I don't know, yesterday and the day before, we were probably eight hours overall, was everybody we met. We're just sweet, conversational. Hey, how you doing? Human beings are amazing. So thank each and every one of you for being amazing and being part of our day as we work to bring forward this, these tools that come out of the first century Aramaic language and make them universally available and all the corollary ideas. You know, who would think that Native species plants have to do with survival of human beings, eh? When the insects go, we're gone. That's it. I know humans don't like insects, but the truth is without them, we're dead. They are part of our planet, and they are what feeds us. Of course, I don't mean eating insects. I mean without the insects, we wouldn't have the plant varieties that we have. We wouldn't have the plant growth that we do without insects and pollinators. Did you mention the black snake you got the picture of yesterday, Jeannie?
0: No, I didn't, but I was thinking of that when you were talking about being in sympathetic instead of parasympathetic. I know a lot of people would have been, like, freaked out. But it's uh, there, again, if you're on our Facebook page, there's pictures. There were roots going across the path. And then there was a snake and the snake j- looked just like the roots. <laughs> I said it was hidden in plain sight. And uh, but it was, it was a about black three snake. feet long. And Yeah, and beautiful. it was beautiful. And we stopped and, and it was just laying there and gave me time to get my camera out and take its picture and some other people were coming down the path and they were like, Oh, how pretty I mean everybody that saw it was just like, you know, in tune with nature and just how sweet.
5: And one of the things to know about black snakes is if they're around, there are no rattlesnakes, because the black snakes eat rattlesnakes. But uh, and this guy was about three feet long and was literally just laying in the path. I was glad Jeannie noticed it. I don't know if I'd have noticed it if I'd been walking in front of her. She was in front and was like, oh, look at this. And it just quietly meandered up the path. But was probably about an inch in diameter. Absolutely awesome.
0: And we do have a hand up.
5: Well, let's say hi.
0: All right. It is Miss Susan, 610. You're on the air. Hi. Hi.
2: Welcome, Um,
0: dear hearts. Welcome, dear hearts, yourselves.
3: Um, You know, we are waking up. It's awfully slow, and you wonder if we're all going to wake up in time. Uh, between walking down Costco aisles and seeing everything in plastic and people buying gigantic amounts of plastic single-use water and all that stuff to living in neighborhoods where you see these enormous lawns and you know that what's going into them to keep them like that. But things are changing. In fact, even this year, just in our backyard, we've worked out something, so I don't think our neighbor is going to complain we are mowing a pathway in the backyard, but the rest of it is going wild. And I'm hoping to get a sign that says uh, "Natural Wildlife uh, Refuge uh, Sanctuary" or whatever it is. There, are, I've got a congress, um, a, a woman on the city council, getting information for me and permission. So, um, one little backyard over here. Cool. Uh, and there's one awesome. two, two blocks away a person has already done that and gotten the signage and is growing native stuff there.
5: Well you might but remember
3: Okay, go ahead.
5: Just a thought in that regard. You might remember Carrie Lee who was in the codependence intensive with us. And Carrie oh, yeah. works for the state of Illinois. And I was talking to her this morning, i sent her a couple of videos about this whole conversation.
2: Mm-hmm.
5: And um she was saying that in Illinois, there's a lot of native species work being done, and they've actually got oh, a, a a state society of some kind. She's going to send me information about it where you can, they, they make a sign that informs people this is a native species, you know, home we're working yeah. on and, and things you can do that you know neighbors can do and such. So she's gonna send me information. When I get that I'll send it to you. It's something you join there it. in Illinois and I asked, Well can I be out an out of state member and she wasn't sure but uh but she's gonna yeah. get me some information. I'll make sure to pass it on to you.
3: Oh, that would be great. Thanks.
5: And we'll put it on our the page on our website on uh Indigenous plants.
3: Mm. So what I was going to bring up is so far from this that I almost wasn't going to bring it up because I'm, either sick, or in a, I'm either sick or in a healing crisis. I had the most amazing experience um, this past week or so. Tim and I are looking into moving into, uh, as I told you, this independent living place.
2: <clears throat> it's not right. going to be
3: for several years, but it's given me... Um, inspiration to go through my old musical works and see what's salvageable and what stinks and I'm going to throw out. <clears throat> I came across an opera I wrote um, that was actually a parallel fairy tale story, a Brazilian fairy tale called The Yara. I don't know if you've heard of that fairy tale. It's not, I, I, have I not. didn't write it. It's, Tell us about it. <clears throat> basically, well, it's about a young man who's engaged to a young woman, but he lives near these dark Brazilian pools, and at night he goes swimming in the pools, and there is a witch, uh siren-like, very beautiful woman who appears to him at night. And despite the fact that he adores his fiancée, this witch has bewitched him. She sings to him, And if he comes too close to her and gives himself to her, you know, heart, soul, and body, whatever happens, she kills the young men. And she always does this just before the young men are to be married to their fiancés.
4: So
2: the Mm -hmm.
3: fiancée learns that this young man has been going swimming there, and she, she turns pale. She's heard this story. She said, we're about to be married, and you're going there? You'll die. You cannot go there anymore. And he promised he wouldn't. But he wasn't living with her. He lived in an adjoining town. It was very hot one night. He couldn't sleep. He thought, I just want to go swimming. I won't pay any attention to this witch. They don't call her a witch. They call it the Yara. It's a Brazilian entity or something. So Mm -hmm. he goes, and sure enough, he's taken in. But he brings a gun with him. He also brings with him a conch that she has sung into, the fiancé has sung into. She said, if you happen to go there, try to remember to bring the conch with you and put it to your ear because my love for you and my song might just save you. Isn't that the most beautiful thing?
2: So he goes,
3: and he goes there with the gun. He sees her. He draws near to her. He can't resist her, but he pulls out the gun. Two shots. She's, of course, not affected. She's not physical. She's an apparition. Then he remembers the gun. I mean, then he remembers the shell. And he holds it to his ear. And suddenly, he comes back to himself. And the whole of the dreamlike landscape becomes real again. Actuality. It becomes his vision becomes clear, and he leaves there for Mm. the last time. Well, I was in psychotherapy with a, a woman 20 years older than I was when I was 40 years old, and she was my Yara. I transferred onto her every wonderful thing, and yet beneath all that, I feared she might just hate me. She wouldn't kill me. But I believed she probably underneath it all. The truth is, she hates me. And this is like the childhood scene, you know. I mean, we've been through this so many times. So I found this opera, and and the opera was never performed. It was like a journal. It was far too personal, and I thought probably it wasn't very good. But I had put it all on the computer, and the story part, what I do is I had – been so smitten with this therapist that I wrote notes verbatim after every single session she and I had I would write down what she said what I said and what is obvious throughout is how desperately I wanted her to love me and how sure I was that she would not that's that's my life work right there in a nutshell Mm -hmm. so I found that this Yara story w- was like a parallel, wrong gender, but, I mean, the, the point's the same, this Yara story. So I wove them together into this play within an opera. And the play is fabulous, if I do say so myself. I'm not sure about the opera. Mm-hmm. I think it's too long, much too long. And if I've ever had the, the time and the intention to print it out and cut it down and rematch the story with the opera, it would be it would be a wonderful project. However, I spent I was just on a tear. This was so exciting to me that I didn't really sleep much. I was working on it for hours. Tim Bingham kept saying, Can we eat? (laughs) you know, let's do something and I said, No, I've just got to keep going on this. And now I've totally crashed. I've got headaches, I'm exhausted. I had to teach this morning, and I was dizzy and could hardly do what I was supposed to teach. And I'm just dragging Mm -hmm. around. So what's going on, Michael, you big wizard?
5: Well, uh, let me answer your question with some questions.
3: You remember
5: this thing called the healing crisis?
3: I do remember, and I'm hoping that's what it
2: is.
5: Right. So when you become symptomatic, you'll remember there are four questions you ask yourself.
2: Mm-hmm. Do you remember no, what those questions okay. are?
3: Yeah. Are you eating right? Doing things? How's your elimination? How's your?
5: And uh, I don't remember them all. Had,
3: <laughs>
5: had you hit a new level of vitality before this set of symptoms struck? There's one of the key ones.
3: Well, for this, I mean, were project, you
5: you you just described being in this really high connected state?
3: yeah I had I guess
5: so yeah, so if you really connected with and it sounds like you connected with a an aspect of your <clears throat> former self that was really tuned in to bring this up, and that opened a whole new space of it sounds like you know the word I would put to it maybe was youthfulness for you, mm. which would be vitality, so that' would be the number one question, so if you were there, is your is your structure energetic wise, energetically? Ready to clean out whatever blocks you from this new vision. That would be my take. And yes, when what
2: would
3: that
5: take? toxicity is released, it hits the brain, the brain goes into brain fog. You know, it can create That's you know, what I've got. What is it on a on a physical level? It's any kind of physical symptom you've ever had and low energy?
2: Mm-hmm. You know,
5: and like the doctor said, have you ever had this before? Yes, well you got it again. <laughs> you ever had this before? No, yeah. well you got it now. <laughs> so mm-hmm, yeah these are are these symptoms you've been through before, then your structure's probably doing another level of healing, so that's the first one. What's that new level of vitality look like you You are doing more and more of the right things. your elimination's working well. Have you found yourself craving and and I wonder if part of the process was when you the fact that you mentioned this therapist. That at the point where you were working with that therapist was your "quote unquote" infatuation with her a chemical high for you that helped you to hide pain from yourself?
2: Well,
3: it could be. It became it very like it clear means. to me. Yeah. Well, it. So that's the dr- fourth question: is drug? Yeah. Am I craving sweets, for instance? The way I, that's my default. Is, I'm actually not, well, but I did for a while.
5: Well, you did that, but also it sounds like your mind went back to the remembrance of and perhaps the craving for the, how can I say it best, the energy that moved in you, that anesthetized you when you thought about working with this person. So that would be the drug. So it sounds like you've, you're passing through the craving for that. The awareness of it came forward, and it's like, oh, yeah, that was so nice. And what were you anesthetizing with it? The thought disorders fed to you by your power person. I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. I don't deserve it. Nobody's ever going to appreciate me that deeply, including myself. That sounds like where your worksheets would be. in in terms of looking at those four questions in your healing crisis. And so so does it... You know, I I hear this story that you've brought together and it sounds like you're ready to bring it together on a whole new level, which means you have to go to a whole new level. And it sounds like you're opening a space for that. So I'd be doing worksheets on those memories of you know while well, she couldn't possibly like me i don't deserve it i'm not. whatever those thoughts were yeah.
2: clear those out mm-hmm. and
5: they're sure then in your physiology you've literally got that new level of you've raised your physiology to that new level of vitality that you're going to need to to rewrite this thing and really make it you know make it just click so I hear you talking about a full healing crisis, full blown, and Boy, it sounds like inspiration one like was one of the things. Say again.
3: I haven't ever had one like this.
5: I've had many. I recognize oh, yeah. been wow. there, done that. Wow! And sometimes it takes some time to go. Oh yeah, that's right. I've just. Oh yeah. That, mm, mm, oh, got it. Okay. So now I'm in willingness. And I can move through it a whole lot faster, and I can listen to what I need to do. What do I need? Well, gee, maybe I need to do a three-day water fast. Maybe I just need to up my fluid intake. Maybe I need to do some fasting, what, what, whatever, you know, that that new level of inspiration will guide you as to what you need to do next
2: to move mm-hmm. through. But
5: when you let go of toxicity and it hits the brain, that's when the brain becomes faint. In fact, people faint it may involve yeah. you know the the thought disorders about not being accepted can be such a shock to the system that that it puts one into sympathetic dominance and one of the aspects of sympathetic dominance literally is to faint that's part of an wow. the extreme sympathetic dominance state is people go into a literal freeze. You know, they talk about someone, you know, there's an interesting thing going on in the culture right now. And unfortunately, I haven't heard any of the attorneys talking about it, but that they're talking about a particular rape that occurred, or at least ostensibly yeah. occurred. And one of the, the, you know, it's been publicized quite a bit, not going into the details of who's involved, but one of the, the things the attacking attorney, I mean, the opposing attorney has, uh, said to this one as well, why didn't you scream? Somebody who goes into that kind of terror and sympathetic dominance no. can't scream, can't fight, can't no. run away. Look, Literally, no physically, point. can't. And, right. and unfortunately, that yeah. hasn't been brought into the conversation. I mean, to me, you know, it would have been, we need an expert witness here to talk about what extreme sympathetic dominance and terror looks like. Brain freeze. Mouth freeze, body freeze, nothing happens. And that, uh, sadly, is, uh, is a part of the rape culture that isn't understood in this culture and needs to be understood more because silence, sadly, has been interpreted by the rapists as consent. And it's anything but consent. It's a stark raving terror. Breathing?
3: Yeah, I just took a breath, now that you mention it. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: What's happening? Yeah.
3: It's as if... Were it, you ever sexually I've assaulted? Got... Yeah. No? It was... It would never have... You went silent me for scream. a
5: long time.
3: Yeah. Yeah. No, I was thinking about the fact that I left my therapy sessions with this woman. My my reason was, look, as long as I'm coming in here, I'm not going to be able to stop wanting you to love me. I was very open with her. It is embarrassing to read these manuscripts, but it's also the mm. truth. And I just said... This right. is how it is. I And what I've learned is this is how much I wanted my mother to care about me and to treat me right. Yeah. This is how much. And I can't even feel that with my mother. It's not there. I don't. I get along with my mom. It's no big deal. But yeah. you are it's showing there. me. It's there. And you're showing it's me. Under it's under the surface. There. And it's that, there. It's there. So, this is what I learned, and I appreciate it, but I've got to leave. I can't pay 75 bucks a session, which is what it was back then, and that sounds very reasonable now, <clears throat> to, right. to keep doing what I'm doing because I'm going to keep doing it. I'm not strong enough or wise enough to change that. So I left, and I said, does this ever happen with clients? And she said, yeah, in psychotherapy, many times a client just won't, uh resolve the issue and they'll leave unfinished and it's that's how it is we do our best she was very good she was wonderful she was a wonderful person yes
2: but she should
5: have it sounds like she did not recognize what you were going through in your infatuation with her and that so time to i would say do some worksheets on that and then take it to the next level with allowing those My take would be that with her, it was a reflection of what was still unresolved with Mom.
3: Yeah, it was. That's a good point, though, Michael. I hadn't thought of that. She didn't know how to get to a different place and take me there, too. I think she was afraid that I was a nutcase. One time, I walked to where she lived, which was not far from me. I wanted to see her house. I wanted to know about her life, which is just so typical of little kids wanting to know what's going on in the bedroom with dad and mom. So I walked down the street, and I'm in a panic attack, because I know I shouldn't be doing this, and I never looked from left to right. I never saw her house, never looked, but I confessed that I had done that, and she was horrified that I had done that. She Hmm. felt stalked, and I said to her, I'm not crazy. You know, I'm not crazy. You think I'm crazy. Anyway, we didn't get past it. Now you're helping me realize that.
5: Mm -hmm. Well, and it sounds like she hadn't resolved her own sexuality. Because she hadn't gotten clear on her own relationship issues.
3: And that never would have occurred to me. She was married, had daughters. That doesn't mean anything. Look at me. I'm married, but... I am all over the place emotionally. Very gay, I think. Part of me, rest of me, straight. Who knows? What a what a mishmash.
5: <clears throat> Sounds like a whole like, new healing crisis. Whole new layer of what's ready to heal, and and notice the the resonant. What resonated was this whole opera that's about resolving attraction and sexuality. Via a Brazilian fairy tale.
2: Mhm. Yeah.
3: That's
5: powerful. Breathing with you. What's happening?
3: Thanks. Um, my mind's all over the place. I'm in the pool. I'm with the sirens. I'm out. You know the conch. I want to remember that the real voice is so much. It's like Luke. I have a report to tell you about Luke. This fits in. My daughter called me, and she said, Mom, Luke finally got his driver's license. They had to clear up some legal stuff. He had a court order for his arrest and all this stuff. They cleared it out. They got him a jalopy, an old car, and he calls it, his friends call it the miracle car because what does he use it for? He's driving alcoholics to meetings. Mm,
5: to meetings. That's and he's,
3: awesome.
5: He's, isn't
2: that awesome? It's <laughs>
5: like,
3: oh, well, what a
5: turnout in a year.
2: <laughs> I know. Thank
5: you, Orb. The
2: thing is,
4: I know, but the thing is,
3: one day his, his, the speaker at one of his meetings couldn't come at the last minute, and he called Luke and he said, you be the speaker. Lukey gets up. Sorry, I'm having trouble not crying about it. But go Luki for it, Breathe.
2: And be with
5: it, you know, let it come.
3: Lukey gets up and tells his story. All the way from the beginning, the dad stuff, the abuse, the alcohol. All the way through, and he said there wasn't a dry eye in the room, and one man got up fairly early in the talk and laughed waited outside, came in, eyes looking like omelets, because he had just completely lost it. He said, you were telling my story.
5: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's too common a story.
3: It's a very common story. He's so, he's just... His his whole vocation. might he's got a he's doing brilliantly in school too. He gave my daughter a paper he had written. He said, "Just check this over. I might need a copy edit." She read it and said, "Luke, this is brilliant. Out of the site, wonderful. He's very very smart. So he's he's really really doing it. And if he can do that, that's awesome." with his father whose attention he desperately desperately wanted and his approval that he wanted so much he i remember him emulating him everything his fa- father did he would copy it he wanted his father's love and his father just would turn on him in the most unpredictable times and he's he's doing it so i better get to work yeah luke being retroactive now. Cool. Michael, you've got to stop saying anesthetize. It's not the right word. Nobs like me are going to say, doesn't that guy know his English? He's <laughs> going to say anesthetize. There's a T in there. I know I've really gotten out of order here. No, no, here? no, no, it's not out of
5: order. size. Okay, well, I'll look it up. Thank you.
3: <laughs> you did before, and you corrected yourself, and you said thanks, but then you forgot it. Uh-uh. Anyway, I'm... <sighs> if that's my only complaint, well, I'm just you, you're in good
5: shape. Hey, I'm I, I've got it made. Yep, yeah. Well, I'm just, <laughs> uh, just the whole the the gestalt of what you've just done with us today is monumental, including Luke. And you know where Luke was a year ago, and I hold the space that this you know this healing that you've been doing that's extended to Luke will take things, the whole energy of healing, to another level where Jacob can also look into it, and it gets that much easier for Jacob to walk
3: through oh, what he needs to do. I walk hope through. so. I hope so. We're counting on it. It's true. We're going to see him soon. We're all going down there on 18th of May to go to Max, the youngest boy's graduation. And Jacob is slated to go, and he has threatened to be a chaos creator. He's going to be tested for drugs every day that he's there, and he's very angry about that. And I told him, I no, said, what's wait, the deal? You're...
0: What?
5: So so my offering would be, might be really helpful to offer to him. So notice you've got another excuse to be angry, and you think it's about being tested. Luke, or pardon me, yes. Jake, you're not angry because you're being tested. You're angry because you're angry. And it's time yeah. to own it and grow up. And be finished with anger because it makes us all stupid. Yes. <laughs>
3: That's great. I love it. <laughs> it doesn't make us you know, totally. You might.
5: You might give. He's got enough respect for science, perhaps. Give him um, Albert Einstein's quote on anger: "Anger only exists in the bosom of fools."
3: That's great.
5: So maybe this is the space in which Jacob will get get the opening to go to the next level and deal with that uh vicious side of his mind. Yeah. Reflective of the generational patterns of viciousness from his power person.
3: Oh, no kidding. Exactly. Yeah. But you helped me realize too that Luke's work has taken him Beyond what I had been able to do with that therapist of mine, and the fact that he's doing it means I can do it and I've got it
5: absolutely. He sounds like he's uh, perhaps found himself in a vocation or at least an avocation, yeah. if not a full blown vocation. That's awesome.
3: I know mhm.
5: Very sweet. That's just
2: mm. delicious,
5: or as Ari would say, delicious good.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Well, thanks for listening to all that. Well,
2: I oh, suspect
4: Lucas.
5: you've opened this space for many people today.
3: So maybe my energy's coming back. Yeah. <laughs> Yay. Thank you.
5: Well, you know, the remember the course talks about willingness. Willingness is the cosmic grease. You know, the person who's unwilling, who goes into a healing crisis, can literally be in that pain, in that trauma, in that weakness, for months or even years, if they're an unwillingness. Oh. Wow. And the minute one softens breeze that goes into willingness. Something that something I d I don't remember whether I shared this on the show, but recently uh I was doing some breath work and what I saw you know, I've the breath of course has been an important part of my work for decades, but what I came to understand, what I was shown, was that the breath, and, and this ties in with the whole idea of Kutch, the Aramaic she who undoes the effects or errors and teaches us the truth, the breath literally delivers love to the cell.
2: Yeah. Now the
5: love gets transported. You know, it's like the blood carries oxygen, nutrition. The breath carries love to the cell, and that's what's required for healing of the cell. So joining you in that full breath and and that full breath, you know, Jeannie sometimes talks about my Darth Vader breath, but that's actually yeah. one of the ways of getting into into parasympathetic mode is with that type of breath. So Carry forward.
3: I thought parasympathetic was when you were oh, sympathetic dominance is when I have to translate. when Sympathetic is the
5: fear, flight, fright.
3: Parasympathetic.
5: Yeah, okay. That's one of the ways is the Darth Vader breath. Is <sighs> one oh, okay. of the ways of going into parasympathetic mode.
3: Okay, got it. Good. All right.
5: Sweet. Well, holding space for this uh, wedding coming up or this graduation. That's awesome.
3: Thanks. I'll give you a report All right. for sure. All right. You have a blessed one. All right. Yay.
5: Yay. Sweet. All right. Well, lots of love and blessings. Appreciate you. Everybody, create the best year yet of your eternal life. It is an awesome gift to give the world. You're empowered to give it. The world needs it. Thanks for being with us. Bye-bye.
2: That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW group void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.